spends time with the elders on the beach and they tearfully say goodbye to him because they know they'll probably never see him again. And so Paul ends up in prison shortly after that. We're not quite sure where he's in prison. We assume Rome, probably Rome. But he writes this letter to the Ephesian church from prison, likely in Rome. And he writes to them with some important information that he wants to make sure they remember some things. He wants to tell them some things he forgot to tell them probably and some things that he knew he would have to tell them later. And so this book is important to our understanding of how the church functions. And particularly as we think about it, without their pastor, right? Paul had been, in one sense, their pastor. Sure, he was an apostle, and he had that capital A apostleship that he did in the early church. But he was also a pastor, a teacher, a shepherd to them. And now they're without him. He's left them with fully equipped elders, and so they've got uh, lots of leadership and help that they can have there, but they no longer have that pastor in their church. We're getting another uh, voice here coming through the system, do we? It sounds like, you know, maybe there's a radio preacher that wants to come in here. All right, if I'm not the right person, Lord. uh, Andy Stanley, is that you? Or your, insert your favorite preacher. All right, well, I don't know what we've got going on there, but we'll carry on the best we can. Paul, the apostle, maybe it's him that's speaking to us today. He was their pastor, and now he's removed from them, and so they carry on without him. And so we see how the church is encouraged to carry on and function without their pastor in their place. Now, You know, it's a little bit unusual to think of Paul as that kind of pastor anyway, because for much of the history of the church, churches did not have paid professional pastors, right? And they, many of the churches just had a pastor that helped out in part-time fashion, maybe got paid a few chickens, (laughs) maybe they were a rancher in the neighborhood, maybe, there's lots of different scenarios for people that have led churches. But uh, in this case, they're without any of that sort of thing, and Paul says to them, I'm going to write these words to you from prison. And of course, writing from prison, we don't know exactly what that looked like. It seems Paul had some necessities of life there. He was able to be well enough to write. He might have even had a scribe that was writing stuff for him. He was supplied with some time and some ink, it would seem, to be able to do this work. But we don't know exactly what it looked like, but we know it wouldn't have been comfortable. It wouldn't have been an easy thing to be writing this letter from prison. Any of you that have had experience walking into a prison, you know that those are challenging places to go into. I remember the first time I walked into a a prison to visit somebody. It was out in the Surrey area in British Columbia. And I remember, I can hear it in my ears today, the clanging of the doors, the banging of doors, the clicks and buzzes of doors. One door would have to be closed before the next door could open. And And it's just a bit of an unnerving thing to do that, right? 
the last, the, the, the most recent time when I visited somebody in prison, I went in to visit my friend who I knew was in there in, uh, in Calgary, in uh, remand, in the remand center. And there's this row of glass, uh, a wall with lots of glass windows in it, and the little phones on the wall that you pick up and you, you talk to the person on the other side, right? And I remember on this particular day, I picked up the phone and my friend picks up the phone on the other side and we could not hear each other at all. There was something wrong with the handset. So I quickly look around, well, where else can we sit? But all the other spots are taken. And so we're fiddling with this handset and we eventually get so that we can hear each other. But I realized that I've got to keep this thing pulled really hard away from the wall so that it works. It works. If you keep that wire real tight, it was kind of like two tin cans uh, tied together. But I'm, I'm managing to do this, but my hand starts cramping up because I'm holding so hard. So I switch to the other hand, but at that angle, it no longer works. And so I go back to this, and my hand is cramping up, and I kind of look around the room, and it's kind of like I can almost see a bit of a smirk on the other people's faces, like, ha-ha, you got the bad phone this time. That was, you know, a minor inconvenience. We managed to get through the conversation and talk, but imagine the challenges of Paul sitting in prison, trying to be the best person he could be for his friends in Ephesus, trying to write just what they needed to hear. I think that tells us this is pretty important stuff that we should listen carefully to. Let me read to you Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Therefore, hmm, wait, we've got to stop right there, right? As soon as you hear the word therefore, you know that it's something important because he's referring back to the whole rest of it that he's uh, written to them. In this case, the first three chapters are a reiteration of the gospel. He tells them once again what he told them for two years in Ephesus. Therefore, this is going to fall from what he uh, has said about the gospel. Let me just grab a drink here. <clears throat> Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life Worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives. And gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. 
And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all of the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Well, that's quite a bit of of scripture there, but important to kind of keep it all together in one piece. We're going to take little bits of it at a time and walk through it together. Verse 1 says, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. We've been called by God. If we're called by God, what does that mean in our lives? Was Paul, now, Paul knew that he had a calling on his life, but he's saying to all of the Ephesian people, and he's saying to us today, that we each also have a calling from God. We may not be called to be a capital A apostle. We may not be called to be one of the 12 disciples, but we are called, it tells us. He wants to first draw our attention to that. And then he says, we are called, and he says that we are to do this calling by always being humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. See, the the gospel is something that we are called to and then to present it to the world in this humble and gentle fashion. The gospel is not something that we fight over. It's not something we raise our fists about, but unfortunately the church is, has churches in general in church history have had lots of different splits and disagreements and arguments, but Paul is calling us to something different, something gentle, humble, patient, working with each other, seeing each other's faults, but working with each other. Then Paul reminds his readers of the unity of the church. He talks about the one body, the one church, the one God, the one Lord of all. And what would that one church be today? Well, it's almost comical the number of names and churches we have in the world today. Here's a short list of some of the the different names of churches that we have. There's the United Methodist Church which is a little bit of an ironic name because there's also the Free Methodist Church. 
there's the Church of God. Well, that's a pretty good name, but then we have to distinguish which one, Church of God Anderson or Church of God Cleveland, Tennessee. There's the Church of Christ. Again, sounds like a pretty good name, but I know from personal experience there's a few different divisions amongst that church as well. There's the Christian Church. Well, that sounds like a good name. Or the Mennonite Brethren Church. Or the Mennonite Church of of Canada. Or Brethren in Christ. Or Be in Christ. Or Baptist. Maybe we could all just be Baptist. Well, which kind of Baptist? Convention Baptist? North American Baptist, Southern Baptist, Fellowship Baptist. We could go on a little bit longer, actually. Maybe we just want to be Pentecostal or charismatic, but then you might have to distinguish um, Anglican charismatic or Catholic charismatic or some other kind of charismatic. Okay, I'm, I'm being a bit foolish with my remarks, but the point is we have so many different types of churches. It sounds almost comical when Paul says we are one and we are united, right? And yet that is the higher calling that we're called to, to recognize that all of these different names and churches and denominations and networks, quite frankly, they have their place, that we can all learn from each other. There may be some particular aspect of the body of Christ that that church down the road is actually keeping important for us and we can learn from each other. Perhaps the different churches, denominations, conventions, networks could be helping us all to become the body of Christ together. Maybe each of those churches is a gift to the body of Christ. But we must never forget that we are a unified body of Christ. And that Baptist church down the road, that Catholic church down the road, they too, that united church down the road, they too are part of the body of Christ. And we are unified together with them. But, and as it says in verses 1, uh, 4 through 6, there is one body, one spirit just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. But Paul also reminds us of this unity without uniformity. Unity that still recognizes our diversity. Verses 7 through 8 says, However, he has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, I I want us to not get hung up on, you know, is the word plural or singular? It says they're gift, but does that mean it's singular or plural? There's a lot of different lists of gifts in the New Testament. And this is just one of the lists of gifts that we're going to look at here in a moment. Though the original Greek word is charis, which can be either plural or Greek, or plural or Greek, plural or singular in this context. But it is a word that says we have each been given at least one gift, at least one grace. And Paul is actually contrasting the fact that we are United and yet diverse. 
And he says, we've each been given different types of gifts. And then he goes on to list some of those gifts. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. So this is kind of a high-level grouping of gifts. If you took each of those gifts, like an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, a teacher, if you looked at each of those gifts, you would see that they're kind of a collection of gifts. Let me give you an example. A teacher is actually someone who can teach. They might also be able to preach. They might also be able to uh, hold the attention of a crowd. They might actually also be able to read and study uh, the word very well. Teachers and preachers are one of the gifts of the church. And we have a number of examples in our own church. I've seen on Tuesday mornings some good teaching going on amongst the women here in this very room. There are gifted teachers that are, they have a collection of gifts that allows them to be teachers. Same is true of each of these gifts. Now, apostles is, should have a, a lowercase a on it here in this context to help us remember that there are people like Paul, who was an apostle with a capital A, but there are other apostolic gifts given to the church. An apostle is really just someone who is sent out by the congregation. So many of our missionaries would be sent ones, would be apostles. These are the people that are not afraid to travel. <laughs> They're not afraid to go into difficult situations. They go by God's grace and by God's gifting into those difficult places as with an apostolic gift. So they are a collection of gifts that, that gives them apostolic gifting, rather. Then we have things like a, pr a prophet. Prophets are one who are brave to listen to God and then interpret it for God's people. Prophets have that gift of bravery, joy, and peace. The evangelists, those are precious gifts in the church too. They know how to engage new people with the gospel and make friendships with those who are far away from Christ. The shepherd, which can also mean pastor, it's the same, work, same word in Greek, the pastor or shepherd has a gift for comforting others, for helping others. They easily develop empathy, and they have a gift for being that hospitality person in the congregation. So, this collection of gifts, and some of you are already catching on to this, you could, if you want to remember these, this collection of gifts, you can just remember this one little word, a pest. If I've been a bit of a pest to you today, just remember a pest. And then you'll be able to remember apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. There's actually some online uh, tests you can take to, uh, and I encourage you to go online and look up some of these uh, APEST tests that you can do. And what it will do is it will uh, help you to discern which mix of gifts you might have to be used in the church. Uh, there's some free ones out there. There's some ones that cost a bit of money. So I just encourage you to use one of those free, uh, free tests out there and spend some time thinking through what gift mix has God given to you 
through Christ. He's given gifts and a calling to each one of us. What is your gift mix that God is calling you to use in the church? Some of you already know it. Some of you may not yet know it. I encourage you to spend some time on these, these gifts and thinking this through. But what are these gifts given for? The passage goes on to say that these gifts and roles have been given for one purpose, to equip God's people to do his work. So we can tell when we are using God's gifts that he's given to us in the right manner and in the right fashion because God's work gets done inside the church and outside of the church. If we are working together using our gifts, then together we are doing God's work in his church and in his community. And I see many of you doing this. Uh, it's not just pastors that get to use gifts, and it's not just pastors that get to equip others. I might get to equip you. You might get to equip me. We equip each other. We help each other to do the work of, the God's, of God's work, God's kingdom. I think of many of you as I look around this congregation. I know some of the giftings that you have. You may be someone who is helping out doing the work of God by doing building maintenance. I know, sounds mundane, but if we don't have people taking care of this building and equipping this building and equipping it for our use, our ministry looks different, doesn't it? So those who are doing building maintenance, that is a gifting from God that they can use to equip the rest of us teaching and serving our children. <clears throat> there are people back there, some of them you wouldn't expect to be working with children. One of the guys that's the big, one of the biggest guys in our church building is often back there helping out with children's ministry, right? You just never know who's helping with ministry. There's others who are helping with children's ministry back there as well, teaching and serving our children so that they are equipped for God's kingdom. Some of you are serving in the community through churches out serving or through the gardens uh, and through many other means that people serve in this community. Uh, what's the first meal, first serve meal that happens around our community? Uh, first serving, thank you, Stephen. And uh, then there's things like the Riverside 83 and many different ways that people in our community are using their gifts to equip others for service. You might serve on a worship team. You might play a guitar or a set of drums. You might be serving on a transition team or serving on a search team or helping with administration, welcoming others into the building, welcoming others into your home, teaching others, organizing uh, food for people when, the, when babies are born organizing a small group to talk about important life issues in life, serving as deacons or elders, many different ways that all of you are already serving and using your gifts to equip the body for God's work. Now, you may not yet know what your gift is, so I encourage you to find that gift and to work on, on figuring out what God is calling you to. Now, does God need us to do this work? No, God could snap his fingers and do all of this work, right? But he calls us and he says, I want to involve you. Those of you who are my followers, you get to help me with this work. What a great privilege it is 
to help with God's work. Verses 13 through 16 says, This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. So cleverly they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Doesn't that sound like the kind of church you'd like to be involved in? We're all working together, a team effort, all fitting in with our piece of the puzzle to make one beautiful landscape. Sounds like a church I'd like to be involved in. Now, I don't follow a lot of sports, and so sports analogies don't come naturally to me. But I, you know, I think it's worth mentioning that it is encouraging to see the Toronto Maple Leafs in the second round of the playoffs. Do I get an amen on that? Or? No, no amens? Okay. Well, it's always a divided and diverse group on the topic of hockey, right? But think of your favorite hockey team then, or your favorite team of any sort, and think about how that team has to function uh, as a team. It's not just the players that we're talking about here. We've got coaches that have to do their job, not just the head coach. There are other coaches on the team. There are equipment managers. There are goaltenders. There are forwards. There are defensemen. There are a whole bunch of trainers and doctors. And then there's all the people that advertise for the team and do all of the work and the the people that take them from place to place and arrange the travel. Every piece of that puzzle, every person on that team does their job, does it right and for the right motivations and teams win. It's not just the players, it's every piece of the team. Kind of like a church. Every person puts in their part and together we make a team that accomplishes God's work. Sounds even more important than winning a Stanley Cup, don't you think? Okay, maybe the sports analogy doesn't work for you. It doesn't always work for me. I'll tell you what does work for me is another analogy that I thought of this past week. Another thing that's been going on in the news, we've heard a lot about the passing away of Gordon Lightfoot. Great Canadian singer, songwriter, performer. Uh, He wrote a lot of stuff and performed a lot of stuff in the 70s and 80s and right up until today. And a lot of his music has been a Canadian soundtrack or a, a score for our lives, don't you think? He wrote ballads, he wrote historical songs, so many different songs that he wrote. And, and uh, many of us, if we, we just know them and we hear them in our heads. Jacob challenged me to sing one of them today. And I could, but you know, come talk to me afterwards. I'll sing a few of them for you. 
But it's, it's so fascinating to me that I've heard all the commentary and the obituaries and all of that. But as, as some of the, the people that have been talking about him, at, both on video and in print, they've talked about all the great things about his music, the poetic lyrics, the arrangements of his songs. They've talked about the finger-picking style in some of his songs that was so beautiful. They talk about the bass lines and all of these things. Well, I happen to know that the guitar player for Gordon Lightfoot for many, many years was a guy by the name of Red Shea. Most of you will never have heard of him. I see Stephen nodding his head because he's quite a music aficionado as well. But Red Shea is one of those guys that you might not have heard of. Now, if, if you're as old as me and you ever watched the Tommy Hunter show, he showed up on there occasionally. But he was a, an amazing guitar player, and he's the guy who all that finger-picking music that you hear in a Gordon Lightfoot song is his. And a lot of the electric guitar licks were his. Many times, those are the things that tickle our ear, and we, that's why we remember that song, because of that guitar lick, that finger-picking style, or that bass line. But we won't remember Red Shea. Some of us, most of us, will never be remembered 50, 100 years from now in the church. But our part is important. There are no small parts. Red Shea's parts were not small. Your part is not small. My part is not small. None of us, there are no small parts in the church. We all get to do our part and it builds up the entire body and equips the people of God to do the work of God. It's as simple as that. We must look for every opportunity to serve with the gifts we have been given inside of the church and outside of the church. As one commentator has said, just as God is active in every nook and cranny of creation... So God uses his people to make sure that people are fed, clothed, comforted, educated, protected. The gifts we use are then part of the body of Christ and help to build up others around us. So God is working in a variety of places, as we said, inside the church, outside of the church, around the world. We're going to call up the worship team here now again and, get, and allow them to get organized to lead us in a, a, some music. We're going to pray together. I'm going to read one more scripture to us together. We're going to take some time to um, commune together. But I want you to keep this thought in your head that we are one body of Christ, but we are diverse. And every one of us contributes to the body of Christ in some fashion. I want to read to you from uh, that Ephesians chapter 4 passage, verses 1 through 6. But this time I'm going to read it to you in the paraphrase that Eugene Peterson wrote called The Message. It's a translation slash paraphrase of this portion of the gospel. But let me, let me read this portion to you from The Message. 
In light of all this, here's what I want you to do. He's got a very folksy way of saying it, doesn't he? Here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to go out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline. Not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. Together we can accomplish the work. That's where it ends there. Permeated with oneness. But I want to say to you, together we can accomplish the work of God as we unified use our gifts together. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are thankful that we are a unified body of Christ. And yet we each represent different parts of the body. We each represent different gifts of the body of Christ. What a diverse crowd we are. And yet you use every one of us. You use us in small and big ways, and yet there are no small parts. We all have our part to play. So we ask that you would help us to equip one another until we're all built up to do the work of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.